Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, Cody and I are back to review some of the news that cropped up in the month of August. And I think we've got another really good conversation here for you today. But one of the things that Cody and I did not talk about was the very impressive victories by Jim Walmsley and Courtney DeWalter at UTMB. Look at that. A couple of Americans doing some good stuff over there in Europe. Congratulations to Jim and Courtney. And Courtney, the Triple Crown, what in the world? We continue to be blown away and so impressed. And congratulations. Now, another bit of news that we announced in our Blister newsletter, but haven't talked about on the Blister podcast, I don't think, is that Cody is officially coming to our upcoming Blister Summit. That is February 4th through the 8th, right here in Mount Crested Butte, Colorado. And you should come. I mentioned in our newsletter that, and I actually forgot to tell Cody about this, so he'll be hearing this for the first time. I think we're going to try to record a live edition of reviewing the news. I'm guessing if we pull this off, it's probably going to happen kind of late one evening of the summit. But I think that would be fun, and we can get some of you asking some of your questions, you know, right there in person. I think it'll be a good time, and I probably should have told Cody that I wrote this in a newsletter. But anyway, it's good to keep him guessing, right? And one other thing I want to mention about the summit, I want to talk a bit about our Blister Summit Backcountry Program. We're really proud of this program, and this year it is presented by Bag Balm, a company that we have used for a number of years, a company that has been around for over 100 years, and we are very happy to have Bag Balm as the official sponsor of the backcountry program of our Blister Summit. So what is that program? Well, it allows Blister Summit attendees to go on guided backcountry tours with professional local guides. Shout out to Irwin Guides. And while this is a very unique offering, it's something that we feel really strongly about because the ski and snowboard industries continue to put out some really outstanding 50-50 gear or dedicated touring gear. So obviously there has been a whole lot of attention paid to backcountry skiing and split boarding. And we at our Blister Summit want to create an environment where people can go get out into the Crested Butte backcountry. And maybe you're a very experienced backcountry skier or rider, but maybe you haven't ridden in these mountains. Or perhaps you're pretty new to touring or have never gone touring. We have created a program here where anyone will be able to go get out under the guidance of professional guides and get out safely into the backcountry. And while you're doing that, 
You can check out some of the latest backcountry products from brands like Ordovox, BCA, Forefront, DinaFit, Wonder Alpine, and many more. And when you do go out, don't forget to bring along some bag balm to help soothe chapped lips, dry skin, chafing, and more. Or you could do one of the things that I do these days before any tour of any length, actually. I've talked a lot about how I tend to develop blisters on the insides of my heels. And that especially happens when I have to test new touring boots. And so I have gotten into the habit of before I go on a tour, just rubbing some bag balm on the inside of my heels. And that works like a charm. So there are a ton of different uses of bag balm, and we'll be talking about some other applications in the coming weeks. But for now, you should go sign up to attend our Blister Summit 2024. Again, it is February 4th through the 8th here in Mount Crested Butte, Colorado, and you can register right now on our website, or we will include a link to the summit registration in the very show notes of this episode. And with that, let's review some news with Cody. Here we go. Hey, Cody. How you, do- how you doing? Good, Jonathan. How are you? I'm great. You sound happy. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. I feel like we're both in a bit of a similar position this weekend, largely scrambling to be working on slash finishing up fairly significant projects. So do you want to go first? What are you, what are you working on this weekend? Yeah. Um, two movies at once is what I'm working on right now, which is, uh, God, I've been starting to get into that pattern of like not really sleeping because you, your head is spinning so fast thinking about all the stuff you have to do. Um, and while also my childcare is on a two week summer break. So we got kid solo and then we were down in santa cruz as you my parents so we could get a little bit of help and then we've got um elise's family in town right now as well so that's why if you watched uh, the video of this why i'm like in a different room because my office slash guest room is currently occupied by the parents-in-law so yeah it's just been a, a scramble lately trying to uh, keep everything together and get two movies that are due at the exact same time so um i luckily was smart enough to have two different editors because I foresaw this happening. So I've got Scott Gaffney editing one of the one of our episodes slash movies this year, and then um, Matt Sheridan from Team Thirteen, who's edited a few of our movies in the past. So um, working on that, and um, yeah, just doing the same old stuff, but in that full scramble mode, which sounds like you're in as well. I learned like a couple of days ago from our managing editor Luke Coppa that our 270 page winter buyer's guide i thought that was going to the printer this coming thursday and luke was like yeah no it's going tuesday we were kind of sprinting and now my job is to kind of come and sprint faster because those uh 48 hours uh extra that i thought i had kind of matter so um that's sort of my world uh maybe not the not the most fun weekend in terms of getting outside on big adventures, but uh, we are excited to wrap up the buyer's guide and get that thing. It's bigger than it's ever been, and we're getting it out sooner than we ever have. 
So sort of two goals that co- compete with each other and the team has done a really good job. So um, yeah, so you know, that's what we've been up to. The the thing I got to say that's stressing me out the most right now is like, have you seen the news out of Burning Man recently? Well, a little bit involving... So it's like a dry lake bed and it's a desert, it's a playa. Well, right now it's currently pouring rain in Tahoe and it's been pouring rain out in the desert there. So the playa has turned into one giant swamp. And I'm like, obviously not too worried about a lot of people there, but my childcare person is at Burning Man and she's supposed to be back Monday. I've been like keeping updates, like when are they going to open the road? So I'm looking at like, Uh, almost like you, there's an extra 48 hours that has taken off your life. I might be the same way where I've been like, I'm waiting till Tuesday so much to get kid back into daycare so I can actually crank and get some legit work done and focus on something for more than 20 minutes before then having to do something with your kid. Like, I love my kid more than anything, but if you, it it doesn't match up with getting work done. So now I'm really stressed that like everyone's flooded and no one's going to be able to get out of Burning Man. And I've got another 48 hours of, of Elise and I trying to get, um, her movie done, me two movies done while having a kid. So, um, some personal connection to what's going on out there. Otherwise it is, everyone's just kind of the schadenfreude um, from Burning Man right now is pretty special. Everyone pointing their fingers and laughing, which I think it's been going on for a long time, the schadenfreude of Burning Man, but I've never been, so I can't really say anything. I have a lot of friends that have been. They say it's amazing. People that like I wouldn't expect say it's amazing, but I don't, I don't forecast I'll ever go. I'd rather spend the money on a surf trip. <laughs> okay. Well, this could, be, this could be the episode, the 51st. Of going the, to Burning Man. 51st project. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, you're welcome for these ideas. Yeah, I yeah. just I just keep feeding them to you and I just keep saying you're welcome. Yeah. So I don't file that I one don't away. think anyone wants me to watch me in that little of clothing in a desert. <laughs> Not even my wife. <laughs> Great. Great point. So, okay. So yeah, All right. We'll so pass pass that. pass. So um scratch that idea. So shall we? Shall we uh review the news? Anything else before we get into it? Let's review the news. But one, you know, one bit of news I think is worth talking about is um, our Blister Plus program, this Blister Plus injury coverage that we have. And hopefully listeners of this conversation are becoming more familiar with it. I very much think this is one of those things that takes some repeat hearing about it for it to really kind of sink in and for people to understand kind of the benefits of it. But one development is that you and Elise now have Blister Plus coverage, which I'm happy about and excited to get that because now I just live in this perpetual state of fear that people that I know and like are going to get wrecked. And I have this now weird sense of responsibility, like if they don't have this coverage that the $9,000 medical bills are like my fault somehow. And I really don't enjoy this like at all. And I'm not sleeping very well. And so it was a good thing to get you and Elise uh, this coverage. And I don't know, maybe it's just worth a word, you know, why it kind of mattered to you and your thoughts on this thing. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it, to that point where you were saying, like, it took a while. Like, I remember hearing about it, and it's probably taken, like, three or four months to actually, like, pull the trigger on it, even though I kept thinking about it this whole time. And I finally, like, signed up for it. Um, because, yeah, our health insurance system in America is absolutely broken. And whatever you want to say about that, I don't think there's any way we're going to fix this in, like, overnight or anything. So, like, for me, just staring at it and being like, well, here's your deductible, which is huge. You're paying out, like, two grand a month. And then you still have like a 25,000 deductible for your family. And you're like, well, there's the spot coverage right in between it. Literally, well, that's the name of the coverage. But it's like, you know, this gap in between it, you know. And I feel like we see in our in our healthcare industry, like GoFundMe has become a huge portion of it. I look at... Uh, uh, charities like high fives as being something that fills in the gaps of post-injury care. And I look at this kind of coverage, I'm like, this is stupid not to get. And it's really cheap when it really comes down to it. So yeah, because um, I felt the same thing. I'm like, if I get hurt, I bet Jonathan's going to be really pissed when I was like, yeah, I broke my leg and I still had to pay $6,000 for, or just, I had to pay $6,000 for stitches because that's how much it costs in America. So, so yeah, no, I signed up for it. Um, even though it's weird because, you know, I'm a, obviously I'm a contributor to Blister. So it's not, a, it was almost like not even the, like the plus membership uh, the the blister I was already a part of that but upgrading to this was just like yeah um, something I wanted to do and um, I get I think if you're I mean if you're under 30 and you don't have this coverage I'm not gonna put it too lightly but you're an idiot because like you can easily go broke um, I just had a family member go bankrupt because of a health insurance issue um, so it's just like one of those things like it's kind of smart to get so so yeah so thanks for doing that I do feel, and I was like thinking about as we keep trying to message this, I don't know if this is too mean, but part of what I was thinking was like, here's an IQ test. Because it, it's just a math problem it at is. the end of the day. It's pure math. And it, it's, it's two things. One of the mistakes I had made previously, and I've told this story, I thought, I was like, I pay 500 bucks a month for health insurance. I have health insurance. I did not really know the ins and outs of my deductible. And this is really, I think, to help people think better about this. I don't care if you have health insurance. In a way, that's irrelevant. What is your deductible? And then, given the messed up system we have, whatever your deductible is, is not the final amount you will likely have to pay out of pocket. They figure out ways to like bump that up. And so this is really what it's about. If you're listening to this and wondering, I don't care if you, if you don't have any health insurance, get this right now. Because then at least you have $25,000 worth of injury coverage per incident. That's way better off than having nothing. But even for those of us who have insurance, what is your deductible? If something happens, if you have to go get stitches, like you said, it's going to probably cost you six grand. With this Blister Plus coverage, if you get hurt over, under one of our covered activities, skiing, snowboarding, mountain biking, climbing, trail running, there's a number of them, you will pay zero out of pocket. That's what we're trying to communicate. So anyway, folks, we'll include a link to it. And, um, you know, Cody, you and I are going to be talking more about this through the coming year. I had an incredible conversation this morning with Hadley Hammer. And Hadley, who, you know, is based in France right now, she has thoughts on this. And so 
we think it's a really important thing for anybody playing in the mountains. And I want to see far more people having this coverage than like having to then rely on things like GoFundMe when things hit the fan. And things are always going to be hitting the fan for members of our community. Well said. Let's just jump into the news now. <laughs> Cody. Cody's got places to be in voiceovers to do and okay okay fancy man there was no more nothing more to add to that so let's jump in oh, it's yeah. like a it's like a mic drop yeah mic drop exactly mm, i couldn't think you. of anything appreciate else to say <laughs> appreciate that all right our first article i love this one you brought this one to our attention what do we got um so we've got an article from mcsweeney's which if you're yeah. unfamiliar with mcsweeney's is just it's a literary website um and they are home to one of my favorite articles of all time, or essays, let's put it that way, by Colin Nissan. Um, in 2009, there was an article, an essay called It's Decorative Gourd Season, Motherfuckers. And it is possibly the funniest essay, in, and I think it gets shared every fall. I definitely share it every fall. If you haven't read It's Decorative Gourd Season, Motherfuckers, you have to go read that first. But McSweeney's came out with another piece of gold by Dan Kennedy, and the headline is, We Invent Bullshit Words to Get You to Buy All New Outdoor Equipment. And man, when something as big and as kind of removed from the outdoor circles is writing about the jargon in the outdoor industry, like, let me just read you this first uh, paragraph. Introducing carbon core, um, I don't know, what's a little circle with a red R in it, like the trademark? Uh, introducing carbon core borotex with ground to clouds Terra Teflon technology. What's it mean? It means if you don't have it, you're not really outdoors, trademark. So, like, it goes, it just nails it. Like, it literally, like, a lot of these things, I'm like, is that actually, does like Patagonia make that? Or did, does North Face actually make that? Just nailed it. So what I wanted to talk about is that one, if a literary site that's removed from the outdoor industry is writing on this, and is you someone who pretty much sees every PR release, every piece of product that's out there, does the outdoor industry really have a problem with jargon? First of all, does the outdoor industry use a hell of a ton of jargon? Absolutely. Is there a problem with it? Here's, here's my take on this. I'm not mad about manufacturers coming up with a bit of a handle or tagline to try to explain something that they've done. I understand why that happens. From where I sit, my biggest problem is when I see gear reviews or gear review outlets seize on all of that jargon. And often, frankly, I think this is a way to kind of out which gear review outlets are basically being paid to do the review. It's a really lazy way of doing it. So you just like, let's say I get, you know, uh, the latest and greatest ski from company X and company X has incorporated to pull, let's say, uh, let's pull something from McSweeney's. Company X incor has incorporated carbon core borotex, right? And then if the review, and this is just a tip if you are reading a review somewhere, if I'm like, 
This ski is great. It's thanks to the Carbon Core Borotex. I felt more stable than I ever have while flying down, you know, Twister at Crested Butte. And it's like, there is no causal relationship between a single bit of technology that's especially put into something like a ski. So that's like the first thing we always talk about here. There is no like, we put a single thing into the cake that is say a ski or a ski boot. Ergo, that single thing is now creating this particular experience or you know performance element on snow. Right. And I think a lot of frankly bad reviews do that causal thing. So here's the new carbon core Borotex blah, blah, blah on this mountain bike or this ski. And then the reviewer goes on to talk about how that carbon core blah, blah, blah was transformative. And it's just like that's really, really low grade level reviewing. That's my take on that. Makes sense. I, I, I like that. I like that. But I also think like, is it, dissuasive to a consumer to continue to use this stuff like imagine like if a imagine if car companies did that imagine if ford called their like the shifting stick whatever you want to call it like sh your shifter in their like you know something like trans switch technology and then gm called it they're like you know this is shift stick core carbon neutral core like imagine if like every single one of the car companies called just their stick shift something totally different their shifter uh -huh. or their gas pedal every company had a different <laughs> term for a gas pedal like is there a point where this is actually just dissuasive because like i'll say for you know i was trying when i'm when i'm in a sport that i'm like not heavily involved in like with skiing like it's really hard to see the forest through the trees sometimes because you're so deep into it and you follow every little detail of it but like mountain biking like mountain biking to me is just like i read articles i'm like what the hell are you guys talking about i have no idea what's going on here and so when there's all these like Ter this terminology that's made up like i don't even have a point of reference to say why is that technology what do, why do you have it as a new thing and like what makes your i don't know your derailer that much different than someone else you just have a different term for it so like do you think even as consumers is the outdoor industry obsession with jargon a negative effect for consumers well i mean i don't hear this from you know, people in the blister audience where they're like, I just read about this new technology from a given company and I am now not buying that product because I am like on principle opposed to the use of jargon. I mean, people are still buying gear, right? So I don't know that I think it's actually dissuasive. Is it helpful? Does it illuminate anything for the end user? That is where I start to think, no. And, and frankly, people can go read my own reviews from the last 10 years. Like, little secret, I never talk about technology. I don't talk about technology in a ski boot or a ski. I'm like, I put this on. This is what I found it to do. So I personally don't talk about it. In some of our first looks, we will say like, okay, there's a new... Ski boot from Solomon say, and this is what they're saying about it, and we'll we'll lay out some of that. 
But then once it's like on my feet, I'm just like, this is how it fits. This is how it skis, so on and so forth. Because that's ultimately what I care about and think that's where we can be helpful to direct somebody, you know, reading to like, yeah, I should probably check this out. It sounds like it might be a match for me or mm, it really sounds like it's not a match for me. I don't see it as being singularly dissuasive like that there's if there's too many terms people are just going to turn away but what i see it turning into is that whole paradox of choice so like you there's this old concept essentially that came in the retail world and i believe there is like sears was kind of the original pioneer of this um the, this paradox of choice where if you give too many people if you give too many options to people they'll end up buying less like they they had this thing where they were like okay we have a washer dryer um we have two models of washer and dryer and then they're like oh let's fit it one in the in-between that does a little bit of both and they're like oh put one on the outside of it and they just kind of kept creating all these features when then they had like 15 different washer and dryers and you think like oh we're actually satisfying every single person's needs whereas then people got into it and then all of a sudden were more confused and didn't buy anything um so like that's my only like kind of downside with it is you start to like confuse people to the point where they just kind of get pushed away like it's, it's the overall body of jargon it's the overall body of how you're explaining things and putting a uh, little details that don't really matter in there that ends up confusing people and ends up making them hesitant to ever purchase something that might make their ski day more enjoyable might make their biking more enjoyable so um you know obviously like the outdoor industry is doing great so i can't say that uh, the outdoor industry's obsession with the jargon has like just been a detrimental effect for the outdoor industry but i think just from a stylistic point of view you're like yeah this this sometimes gets a little little out of hand yeah and i you know god bless god bless all of you in marketing departments who work for gear manufacturers but that is sometimes where maybe it feels a little bit like i need to justify my job mm mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, well, okay, again, I'm okay with putting a handle on something, but then get to the cleanest, clearest explanation possible mm -hmm. in like one sentence. Yep. Yeah. And not say like this, this ski is stable yet nimble. <laughs> and like those, like right. the tautologies right. and the, all the like counter reflective yep. points where you're like, wait a minute, what? like every ski says it's good for all conditions. <laughs> yep. So that's one of the things we have talked a lot about at Blister. We have begged manufacturers, like companies are still, I think, a bit afraid to ever say, we built this thing to excel here, here, and here, but it is not supposed to be great at, you know, these other three areas. And so that's frankly why like we can step in and do what we do at Blister because it's like our job. Like if the companies are afraid to do it, we'll do it. And by like, it is <laughs> just logic. No product can ever be amazing at everything. That's just a fact. And I think a little bit of like, you know, give, give consumers a bit more credit and just be like, if you are about getting up a mountain as fast as you possibly can, so you really are trying to save as many grams as possible, great. We've got the ski for you. 
it is not going to provide the same downhill experience as a much heavier ski. So understand your priorities and what your, you know, the pros and cons and trade-offs you're willing to make. And I just generally still, I read, I get sent and read so many freaking new product, you know, releases from all industries. And most of the time, it's still like, this product is amazing at everything with no downsides anywhere. Well, I guess that's what keeps you in business. So maybe, <laughs> so uh, keep, <laughs> yeah, keep maybe doing just what keep you it do. rolling. Yeah, keep doing what you do, marketing departments. Yeah. Good job, security. Cool. Um, next topic. Um, this made some big news. Um, and I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about it, but uh, Jackson Hole Mountain Resort was sold. Um, the first thing I wanted to kind of laugh at was the headline that kind of was out there in a few different blogs and news sites, mainly on content aggregation sites. But uh, the headline from Jackson Hole's blog announcing this was, Jackson Hole Mountain Resort plans to sell to local families. Doesn't that just sound amazing? <laughs> yes. And it's not untrue. It's not untrue. At all. And it is transferring from one family to another family but was it misleading a little bit to you? I'm going to have trouble getting too worked up over this one. It 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 is a little misleading in that it initially sounds like they were almost doing a kind of, you know, community share or something like that. That is not what we are talking about here. No. But before people get too indignant about this, I do want to think about what the alternatives could have looked like. And and overall I am willing to say that I I don't see something grandly wrong with this. And I think there is a shot of this being a pretty nice outcome, I suppose. Though maybe we all would have loved to see like, okay, you know, residents of the Jackson area all now are, you know, it's kind of a co-op. That's not what we're looking at. But um, anyway, what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, yeah. And so just the headline... I felt like you're like when i first read it you kind of feel like maybe this is going to where like 20 or 30 different families or maybe more like kind of co-op ownership which as you said is not realistic in the slightest bit um but this did just sell to you know the ex uh, CEO of Citigroup and an ex-investment banker who were both on the board um, of directors. And when it comes down to it, like I almost felt like the the headline was a little misleading because it was such shocking difference between sells to local families, which gives you this kind of good times vibes. And then it's like, well, no, it's just investment bankers and you know bankers themselves. When then in reality, like, as much controversy as the prior ownership had, the Kemmerer family, mainly related to politics and them hosting fundraisers for very divisive politicians like Marjorie Taylor Greene, as much as that created backlash within the community, like the family and the board of directors and their ownership has done pretty good job with Jackson Hole. Um, and I would say a lot of locals would say of the same. Um, they outline it in the piece, these bullet points of like replaced or built every new lift at uh, Jackson Hole Mountain Resort with sublet being the final lift to be replaced in 2024. So they weren't just sitting and collecting money. Um, they were investing into upgrading their infrastructure for, for Jackson Hole. Um, built a new tram. They opened 
opened up the Bridger Gondola and Bridger Center, which is that mid-mountain lodge that um, is quite nice and holds a lot of people. Um, you know, in 2019, switched 100% green en- energy, making it the largest resort in North America to run on green power. Like, there's a lot of things that, that the Kemmerer family did, and then now these new owners who were on the board of directors did that works good for Jackson Hole. So that's on a certain way, like I laughed at the headline because it almost like sounded so like, oh, amazing. We're going to this co-op style ownership. When in fact, it was just like more, it felt like just a transfer of ownership to people that have already been running the resort and they've already done a pretty good job with running the resort. So um, in that regard, it was almost too misleading. It should say like, in a certain way to other board of directors because we've done such a great job at running this that we're just going to kind of continue to, you know, not just take a profit and eat out of this. We're going to continue to invest in infrastructure. We're going to, they, they, to me, you know, Jackson Hole was one of the first big resorts that went to paid parking, and then they created a pretty good parking and transit program to decrease traffic getting in and out of there. So there's a lot of things they've done. Um, and I don't live in Jackson, and I don't, so I don't hear all the inside gossip. But I, when I did spend more time in there, like I know no one that necessarily has like a big problem with the 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 actual management of the mountain, like. There's generally good things that are said about the management of the mountain itself, the ski experience. So, so yeah, I, but I did have to laugh at the headline. Here's one other thing. Given that I mentioned IQ tests at the you know, top of this conversation, another IQ test for me is if you're one of those morons who just reads the headline and then starts spouting off on social media, stop it. And I don't think well of you. And so I don't really care what headlines say if it's a subject that is potentially interesting and is certainly if you're about to go weigh in on something, freaking read the article. So that's also why I don't care because if, yeah, if this just catches and helps weed out to society, you know, people that are like sounding off on headlines, like don't mate with those people. We need to like we need to like cull them out of the population and if there's going to be any hope for, you know, humankind. Yes. Um, which I almost liked that feature on Twitter or which now it's called X, which I've like refused to call it X, not for any reason other than just like X is a Twitter. It's Twitter. That's all it was. But uh, I remember this old feature where if you like went to repost an article um, that someone had posted and you hadn't clicked on the link, so you just looked at the whatever the headline was, it was like, do you sure you want to read this article before you post it? Which was like kind of a good reminder in a certain way of like, hey, don't be a moron and just judge it by the by the headline. So yeah, what you said was was a good thing. All right. Where to next? Um, This was a medium piece. um, And the headline was it uh, Strava, the world's sweetest social network. And the subheadline, whether you've completed an Ironman triathlon or barely managed three pushups, Strava users will mash the kudos button for you. So I wanted to talk about Strava for a little bit. Um, Are you do you Strava at all? I do not, yeah. nor do I use Twitter, okay. despite your attempts over the years to get me to use Twitter. So, no. Don't join on now. You're welcome to come to my side. Be on the right side of history, Cody. It took you years, but if would you like to announce your official 
you know, resignation from X? Well, not really, because like half of these articles that I put into our document to review, I end up finding on there. <laughs> okay. But it's okay. still like it's turning All into right. such a shit show on there. Like the ads are so bad. Like they're, I, I, uh, it's like. 2 a.m. at on Fox News is the kind of ads you're getting. Like I'm getting oh, targeted nice. ads for bulletproof backpacks for kids, which is just like the most disturbing. <laughs> yeah, you're like, what the? Like I'm scrolling through Twitter, looking up news and reading about inf the information, and I'm like all of a sudden having to think about my child's mortality by going to school. So like the the ad quality, a lot of things are are, are going downhill on it. It's still like. You know, the the network itself, the people that are on it, like as far as the people I follow, you generally find good things out of it, good things to read, good sources of information. But as a platform, ooh, yeah, if you were to join on now, it'd be like, I don't know, swimming to the Titanic after it hit the like iceberg and being like, all right, here's a boat. Let's get on this one. So feels like that. I don't know if it's going to die, but just feels like it anyways. But so you're not on Strava. Um I've been on I've been on Strava for a long time. I actually have mine completely set to private. Um, and I record everything. It gets posted to, to Strava. I go on there from time to time. But I can't say it's like much of a social network. You just see kind of what people are up to. I have personally, I have everything private just because like there was this kind of rash of people breaking into other people's houses, knowing exactly where you live and stealing like your $10,000 bike you you posted about on your Strava. And since there's a GPS track showing exactly where you're going, you can kind of hide your general location. But even at that, like, I've got a pretty recognizable van. Be pretty easy to just, I don't know, know exactly where I live. But then, I don't know, I just don't really care to share my what I do day to day. Anyways, um, so if you're not familiar with it it is seems like it's kind of a kind network but the thing that i've been noticing and some of my friends and some of the meme networks have uh noticing is there's this trend of burying your significant others on strava so everyone posts their times obviously it's a big part of it getting koms and getting prs and getting top tens and whatnot and you'll see that like there's plenty of fit, strong people, and they, you can tell, become a little gamified when it comes to, like, getting these times and these top tens and these PRs. And one of the things I've noticed is you can title your activity for the day, and someone who, let's say, is a very strong runner will go out and be like, chill day or recovery day or like you know relaxing day with my significant other um even so much i saw one with someone who's very fast and strong in the mountains being like recovery day with the dog almost like they were like trying to say like well this dog is slowing me down obviously so today i'm not going to be breaking records and so I kind of took issue with this because there's this like kind of seedy little competitive nature of it that I'm like, that is like their significant other and or dog is not on Strava. So they won't see that they got buried by blaming their slow times on going out on that day. Um so I took issue with the, the, the sweetest social network. This hasn't called out. I've called it out on social media, a few other things. But I, obviously, if you're not on Strava, you can't see this. So I can't have this great of a discussion with you. <laughs> 
Well, see, I just want to protect, you know, my dog. Okay. That I don't actually have, but um, <laughs> I've been thinking about getting a dog, but I don't, I don't know that the time is right on that. But um, yeah, I, I, I hear you though, and I get that, and I can see, in fact, Hadley Hammer actually wrote about this uh, fairly recently in an open mic piece of ours where it's kind of the, the sort of more just sandbagging, you know? Like, oh, you know, chill walk in the mountains today and it's somebody effectively kind of, you know, free soloing a traverse and like, folks, what are we doing here? So, yeah, it turns out there's a lot of ways to what exactly is the right term? Like, there's a lot of ways to still sort of try to elevate ourselves and casually put down our significant, you know, dogs and or other significant others. We shouldn't do that. We should be nice. Let's keep it the nice social network that I'm not on. Totally. I mean, well, and the the thing, too, it kind of ignores is like, and there is a toxic side to Strava, which becomes this competitive nature and the effects of it can be felt on the trails. Like a long time ago, I remember I had someone pass me yelling Strava. So like pass me like I'm trying to get a good time for whether that's our personal record or not and that kind of stuff you're just like okay yeah this this trail that like 90 to 100 people use a day is not your race like if you want to sign up for a race sign up for a race and they'll close the course you can go do it so don't like don't try and like pass me in a terrible place because you want to break your record or get a top 10 or a KOM. So those are the things it, it did kind of ignore is this Strava culture that can be a little bit toxic at time. Otherwise, it is correct. There's, I mean, you don't have like Russian propaganda and, you know, uh, you don't have just this like reposting of headlines in the comment section of your bike ride. So it is, it is a pretty nice supportive place, but there's definitely just like I think any social network is going to have some toxic sides. That's a bit of a segue into our Oof. next gross topic. Yeah. You presented, you brought all this up and, and um, I am actually kind of curious to get your take on this, but it was, I don't, I don't love this stuff. No, I don't either. And it brings up a lot of issues. So um, this happened last month and we didn't end up talking about it, um, which has been good because a lot of the dust has settled a little bit. Um but talking about Kristen Harla um, and Tenjin Sherpa setting the record for uh, climbing all 14 of the 8,000 meter peaks in the world. So this was obviously, you know, first done by Reinhold Mesner. Um, it's done by plenty of people since then. And then uh, Nimsdai Perja ended up doing his 14 peaks, both the movie and doing it, uh, I forget the exact time, but making this speed record out of it. But, um, and while there was controversy with Nims's record, especially more in the underground of climbing world, this Kristen Harla um, became very controversial. Um, the main source of controversy ended up being on their last peak up on K2, um, where they passed a dying climber. Um, and there was supposed video footage of Kristen and Tenjin Sherpa passing, like literally stepping over this um, porter who was still on the rope, hung, hanging upside down above very steep, very exposed place and was dying, still alive, but was dying. And that became a really big point of controversy. But then there was a lot of other stuff. So 
when you're combing comments when you're combing the you know forums and whatnot a lot of people were screaming at the style in which they did it um meaning that they were taking helicopters from uh mountain to mountain which as a note is exactly what nims did um there was one point of thing where they did down fixing which usually when you're fixing ropes most of the time a team of sherpas is climbing up the mountain and setting fixed lines within the mountain uh, while going up they had a team of sherpas flown up to a high point and then they walked back down while setting fixed lines for uh kristen and her team and tenjin um that was a big point of controversy. All in all, it was just like there was a lot of ugliness and messiness about this. And my general takeaways from this whole thing is just that mountaineering in general, and especially high altitude mountaineering, is just broken as a sport. And whether you look at Everest, whether you look at K2 this last summer and how many people climbed it and how much trash was left on the mountain, like personally, what Kristen and Tenjin did, it's fucking cool. It's really awesome. Could they have done it in better style? Of course. But like, that's what climbing is. You chose to do things in your own way. What she and Tenjin did was badass. When you start to pick it apart, then you're like, then you're going to pick apart the entire industry because the entire industry and the entire climbing of 8,000 meter peaks in the Himalaya is really messy. And where you're drawing the lines of where things are acceptable and things are not is there's no place to actually draw that line. And then back to the very first point of controversy we talked about, stepping over the, the dying climber. And this goes back to social media. So she was receiving death, death threats for this when it came out right off the bat that there was supposed video of her stepping over this climb and not helping, going for the, her last summit to break the record instead of helping this dying climber. It was like there was a it was making international news. Uh, recent follow up reports, more her stories gotten out there, more verified accounts from witnesses have shown that was like couldn't be further from the truth. They actually tried to help for many, many hours. Um, the The fact that there was more than a hundred people on the mountain trying to climb that day it probably led more to this uh, poor porter's death. And the fact that the system had a porter who had never been to altitude in his life um, going up on this mountain and was supposedly going to be a high altitude porter, and he was of like woefully unprepared, had no down jacket, did not have the proper boots, the proper climbing equipment, was essentially thrown into this because it's a lucrative paying job um, by a organization within Pakistan that just more probably didn't care to ensure the safety of this guy and threw him up on the high altitude mountain. So to me, it was just showing that like, yeah, everyone's trying to point a picture at Chris, Kristen Harla and Tenjin Sherpa in this, in this chase, but two things from it. One, it's a broken system that is obviously disregarding the safety of a lot of the people doing the work. And then two, it's just one, like the social media, like the moment something comes out, don't just start literally throwing death threats out at people being so angry like wait till the story comes out because the story came out and definitely was far more like tragic but also not so pointed in blame so um it was ugly all of it's been ugly and i i think it's just like this world right now it's a really weird world and we're seeing it step um, play out in front of us yeah 
I I think your comment that it's just all broken, that's how it feels to me. And reading these articles, and we'll we'll put all the links in, you know, all the as I was reading all the links that you sent, I just was like, can I stop reading about this? Can I go do anything else than read about this? And it just got me thinking a bit about climbing, alpinism, mountaineering. You know, on the one hand, if there's an individual who is just inspired to go climb a mountain or do something, you do you. Go do your thing. That's great. There's another element where we hear a lot from climbers or people pursuing uh, FKTs that they are doing it in part to inspire others. And I just found myself thinking, nothing is inspiring about any of this. It's just gross. It's just gross. And, you know, I don't know Kristen. I won't pretend to know motivations and all that. But given the way that it was set up, given the chase, I didn't really feel like this was merely about, I'm doing this for me. I want to see what I can do. And I'm like, okay, so this is about, you know, raising your own profile in, you know, before others, but it's not inspiring and it is just kind of gross. And for those reasons, I do kind of agree with you that a lot of this feels just very broken and it is, you know, there was the term used in one of these articles, kind of experiential tourism. You know, I understand that there's a lot of money to be made you know, by different organizations and entities. And I get that. And people want to make livings and the rest. But boy, just, but putting this all out under the name of kind of <sighs> inspiring outdoor activities, it feels broken. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. Like there's there's certain aspects of like, inspiring others that can be really truthful and really pure and really like, yeah, no, this was really important for reasons X, Y, and Z. But I find more often people use those excuses in order to do what they want to do. Um, most, I would say, Western climbers, U.S. climbers that go to climb Everest and they say they're doing it for X reason is just a bullshit reason to say that they want to go climb Everest. Like, I, I, that's what I tend to find. Are there other instances where it really is true? Um, yeah, it could be. And um, are there other instances where it's like, no, I'm proving to the world that because of whatever it is I have, where I'm from, what that that there could be aspects of that. But I look at something like Kristen Harla, and I, again, don't know her, um, She's obviously incredibly strong, came from a um, cross-country skiing background. And I looked at it, it was like, yeah, I mean, she sounds incredibly fit, Love started to love climbing mountains, wants to go for this record because she wants to see if she can do it. And that's a good reason. Like, I, I tried to do that with the 50 early on. Like, a lot of people thought I was doing some human-powered thing because I was like, oh, I want to do it for the environment. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's like a nice side effect that I'm doing less impact on the environment than I was when I was flying around in helicopters all the time. But if I really wanted to have a less impact on the environment, I probably wouldn't have done the 50. And I was doing it purely for my own personal challenge and my own personal learning and growth. And so I wish people in that regard for their motivations were a little bit more truthful. I don't know with this instance. I will say too, in this instance, 
a lot of the controversy surrounding it, um, you know, it felt like there's some tinges of sexism within it. Um, there was some tinges of like Nims became everyone's hero, has millions and millions of followers. And then within a year and a half, someone's going to break that record. And it's a woman with not much climbing experience, which was exactly what Nims was a man with very little climbing experience, just very uh, motivated and with a lot of fitness that was climbing this with guides the whole time. She like, the similarities between what Nims did and Kristen did are almost identical. They were both playing the same game. And if someone's out there trying to compare the two and saying like, no, he did it because of it was better because what he did and what she did, I think that's where some of those like little layers of sexism are buried within this because just some of the some of the comments out there we were like like Reinhold Mesner, as much as the guy's amazing, he's obviously has I, he's got some personality issues, let's say that. Um, it's well documented. And he was very supportive of NIMS, but then was putting out some posts right around when she was finishing, talking about like records aren't for the mountains and whatnot. And it was like, you were very supportive of NIMS doing it, but not her. So it just, as we, I think we summed up, it just feels all broken. All right. Well, this is where I think I generally say we need a palate cleanser, but I don't know that we have any Canadian news this month, which frankly, the entire nation of Canada might be super stoked to hear this. Yeah, I know. I totally failed on bringing any you sort did. of fun-loving Canada news. I mean, <laughs> it's been like Canada's had a rough <laughs> summer. Let's put it that way. They like have. the entire yeah. country is on fire. Um, I That's feel true. like at this point it's just, you know, I'm, I'm never making fun of them. We're always trying to be like, no, you know, we love Canada. Exactly. But it, like, you know, they, they deserve a little, they deserve some rain um, and they deserve some mm -hmm. fires to go out because yeah, yeah, it's been a rough summer for Canada. So maybe we don't have the most Canadian news. We'll just say to our cheerful neighbors to the North, we are rooting for you. We wish you all the best. Mostly we wish we were you in, you know, large part. Given what you've been facing, our gift this month is there will be no stupid most Canadian news. And so you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Should we do some mountain town advice? Yeah. We, had, we have uh, three things we're going over this time around. And so we got this note from Chris. Uh, this is uh, This is some relationship focused uh, stuff. So we always like those. Chris writes, hey, I'm a 23 year old male and work in the outdoor industry. For the past five years, I've spent three to nine months away from my home in Colorado on expeditions or traveling to guide. I feel very lucky to have had two really stellar, somewhat long-term relationships in my life. And both of those exes are really exceptional people. However, in particular, my last relationship kind of fell apart when, after a few months of dating, I went away on a trip to the Arctic for two months. I had hoped the relationship would still be there when I got back, and she encouraged me to go. But upon returning, it was clear the spark just wasn't there for her anymore. That was about a year and a half ago, and I've been enjoying being single in that time. Looking toward the future, I'm very interested in having a somewhat more settled life with a committed partner at some point, but I also want to continue to do these larger trips that I find so fulfilling. 
are these two things incompatible? How do I balance my athletic ambitions with being able to, at some point, build a life that incorporates someone else? It seems easier when things are more settled in the relationship and there's already a level of commitment, but that's tough to develop when I'm leaving for long periods. I'm currently on a long expedition, but moving from a town in Colorado to a town in Washington afterward, and it seems like a great time to work on life changes as I'm already making a big change. Hmm. I feel like this, you've got to have some good thoughts on this one, Cody. Yeah. You, I mean, Chris, you're speaking right up my alley um, because, <laughs> yeah, this has defined relationships within my life. And I was pretty lucky to find pretty early on a woman that was kind of perfect for this exact scenario, but it wasn't without its challenges. And that's what I think I kind of talk about here is that one, uh, his first question, are these two things incompatible? No, they're not. Um, and I can point to my almost 20 year relationship with my wife Elise as uh, as evidence to that that yeah you can travel a ton i mean i've had years where the longest time i spent at home was 2 weeks um so uh there's been times i didn't see elise for two almost 3 months straight um what you need to do is find someone that is compatible with that i know that sounds really like really hard but that's ultimately like one of the the critical things is finding someone that is independent, um, independent on their own. But in order to develop this, like this is what I kind of wanted to talk about in this specific instance, because it's not going to just find out like it's one day one. You'd be like, are you an independent person? Are you gone? Are you okay with me gone for 33 to nine months? And generally everyone's going to say yes. And then it gets down to it and they're not. So it's really hard to figure out, but you're going to have to kind of like foster that that you can be away and survive a long-term relationship. Um, the first thing I think about is the time you get back together is always the most challenging. And when you can recognize that and call it out before you come home, whether you call it out to yourself or where you talk about with your partner, I always noticed whenever the winter would end and Elise and I would kind of finally get back into our own home and develop our own patterns together again, it was really challenging and challenging for up to a month. But when we started to kind of almost call it out and being like, all right, like, we're going to be back living with each other after six months away and take knowledge of that, we would take those little foibles that you have, those little conflicts that you have, and just know that like, hey, we're readjusting to being together. And that's just part of the deal. And it, then you kind of settle back into it and everything is fine. But that first month when you come back from a long trip, um, a winter away, a summer away, you just got to take note that those are the most challenging periods, even for a very stable relationship like Elise and I had. There, It was, it was hard. So um, if you can let your partner know about that, let yourself know about that, kind of just even accept it within yourself when you get home, then then you're probably going to set yourself up for success more. Um, the second thing, too, is the bringing home gifts, bringing home anything, acknowledging that you're thinking of them beyond just texts and calls and other normal stuff we do is a really good way to kind of pave that spark get that spark going again because it's it's hard to keep that spark going when you're just talking on the phone if you're 
in a remote place like the Arctic sending satellite messengers. So like being able to do things for them, bringing stuff home, just kind of acknowledgement of that person that like, hey, even while I'm away doing things that bring me a lot of joy, I'm definitely thinking of you, longing for you, want this relationship to work. Um, those are the two kind of biggest things I can think of. There's much more depth to it, but I want to leave it at that. And I don't know, have you ever been in a kind of long-term, long-distance relationship like this, Jonathan? I've definitely done long-distance, different circumstances, not not on the, like, you know, leaving for an expedition, coming back from that type of thing. And no, I think I think you've spoken to it well. What I find myself thinking about is I, I had a football coach, a high school football coach. You dated your football coach? Amazing. I dated my football. Yeah, it was a, he was a very loving. No, uh, he, this is a weird story, but he, there was, <laughs> I mean, it's already now a weird story. There was somebody who was interested in me a woman who was interested in me knew this coach and I, she was like, kind of go tell Ellsworth, uh, you know, about this. And he, I just remember him coming up to me and he's like, Ellsworth, just want you to remember timing is everything between a man and a woman. And like, God, this feels like straight out of Friday night lights type stuff, you know? But and I, at the time I was like, I was a moron and, you know, I was like, I don't know if I think that's true. I think increasingly, I think that's true. So we meet people at different stages of life and they have different priorities. You know, these things kind of change and rise and fall. And I think my advice to Chris is meet people, focus like we, you and I talk about a lot on reviewing the news and in Mountaintown advice. See if you're actually friends with these people. Like, are you actually like, was this somebody you'd want to be friends with and kind of start there? And I think that's like, if Chris is, you know, for the time being, like, I'm trying to kind of get into a romantic relationship. So I kind of got to hurry and move quick on that front to sort of, sort of lock something in. And then I'm going to bounce for a while, probably just a really wrong strategy and focus more on like, wow, that person is really interesting and intriguing and we get along well. And I know Chris said he's like going to be switching up his situation, but I think just focus more on that for anybody who's in a situation where they're kind of leaving and coming and going. Because this is about, I think, how do you start into these things? He acknowledged once you're in a relationship, maybe this is easier to deal with, with uh, distance. And uh, I think focus there. And if you actually create sort of a foundation, like the all important friendship in a relationship. If you start there, there might be more to build on than trying to sort of jumpstart or move quick on the relationship, the, I'm sorry, the romantic relationship side, and then reverse engineer the friendship out of that. So that's my biggest addition, I suppose. Yeah. I'll, I, there's kind of the third thing that I thought of that I, I realized it's a key to you know one that the month rejoinder of how kind of tough that is to bring home gifts make it sure make sure that seems like your partner knows that you're thinking about them but the third part is be willing to sacrifice a bit um you know if you're on the road for three to nine months make it 
make it three to seven months maybe and find more things you can do locally because you know if the relationship is important to you um being able to be there and realize that the person knows that like hey like i'm not willing to go on this expedition because i'd rather be home with you that that can be an important thing as well so like yes when you're young and especially in a young relationship i think you can be a little have a little bit more freedom to do whatever you want um especially when it is that time of your life where trips abroad being on the road doing all that living couch to couch mountain to mountain become is more valuable to you but also know that if this relationship is getting more important like be willing to sacrifice a little bit um and and also don't hold that sacrifice over someone's head don't be like i didn't go on this trip because of you like just do the sacrifice because you are willing to be home because you'd rather spend time with that person so um so yeah that's what i'll say but ultimately like for chris i would just say keep keep doing what you're doing hang tough um learn along the way of ways to make a relationship and and a lot of travel work together um and find that person that is comfortable being alone being independent have their own friend network so yeah friend network have your own friend network we'll, we'll underscore every one of these things with that, um, always good. All right, next one. This one comes from, it's either Jacob or Yaakov. And I'm kind of hoping it's Yaakov because that's cool sounding. Hey, Jonathan and Cody, I am a huge fan of the podcast and a proud member of the 100. We haven't talked about the 100. Yeah, we got to make t-shirts at this point, should we? We, we, we should. We should, make, we should make t-shirts. We'll get on that. Love listening on the drive to and from adventure. So thank you. Uh, here's my mountain town question. I spent this past winter sleeping out of my car, traveling around Western North America, skiing while working remotely for my university and had the best season of my life. But I experienced and saw a lot of resistance to my style of ski life, aka sleeping out of my car. Ski basins are banning sleeping out of your car, not only in their parking lots, but also in entire mountain towns like Steamboat Springs, Whistler, etc. And it is incredibly well enforced. As far as I can remember, this wasn't universally the case when I was in high school. I understand a few reasons why. Snowplows need unhindered access to clear the roads, monoxide poisoning, like the two deaths at Palisades. And, of course, the possible nuisance of the current flooding of van lifers. But I have found that one overwhelming reason is that I do not contribute to the economy of the local ski area. I do not spend any money on housing slash hotels slash Airbnbs, alcohol, rentals, slopeside food, or really anything other than grocery store food and gas. This ski bum aesthetic is no longer the type of person most ski areas are catering to. Guests paying hundreds of dollars a night for the nice slopeside bed don't want to see a disheveled me crawl out of my beat-up Subaru in a duct tape-covered ski jacket every morning. I get it, but this seems to deepen the elitism of skiing since it forces people like me who can't also afford the hotels and housing situations out of the area and away from skiing. These are just my thoughts, but, and here are kind of the three questions. One, what are your views on sleeping in your car in order to afford skiing and the current policy of no car sleepers at many ski areas and mountain towns? 
I am moving to Northern California for graduate school, and the only way I can afford to ski as much as I hope to and dream to is by continuing to sleep out of my car for weekends. Second, do you have recommendations for me for the Tahoe area, policies of the area, and most importantly, how to approach sleeping in my car in the area without causing problems, hindering snow plowing, or bothering anyone? Lastly, how can I still contribute to the local community even when I can't offer any real financial contributions? Three questions. What do you got, Cody? Oh, man. Um, there's a lot here. Ultimately, though, like sleeping out of your car to, before to go skiing is like the ultimate ski bum thing. And I am so supportive of it. Um, I think ultimately, like his point about people paying for uh, their housing hotel and seeing a ski bum crawl out of their car that was asleep there is at one of the main roots of the problem. This kind of like, what do we call them? Karens or Chads or Kyles, I forget, that are like, would complain about someone getting out of their car in the morning and you can see them like a jug of piss, walk to the bathrooms and dump it out in the toilet. Like that kind of attitude is just, it sucks because... I, I I don't get what's in people's mentalities if they're spaying, playing for a nice space and they see someone else who is like doing something cheaper or doing something like living out of their car that would rat other people out for doing that. Like, I hate that. Um, I just read a really good book called The Emerald Mile and there's a whole section about uh, these guys poaching the river at high water and them getting ratted out because one guy who took years to get his permit all of a sudden saw someone poaching and he's going to go call the authorities you're like come on like what are we doing here so that i don't know how to change that other than telling people like hey if you see someone in a sleeping in the car don't go rat them out if you're working at the hotel and they come up and they call you at the front desk and they like hey there's someone sleeping in the car be like okay we'll we'll let them know and then just hang up don't do anything about it so that's a lame attitude because sleeping out of your car as a ski bum very very supportive of it but i will say it is not easy and it's getting less easy um i know just like from even driving around all winter and sleeping out of my van finding places to park is a really difficult situation and um what i found is you just have to drive further than you think you can't sleep at the base of the, the the ski area anymore you have to go find some random forest service land some blm land um for that i recommend downloading an app something like onyx which gives you property lines within it if you have an onyx elite account you can see literally where is public land um and go park there uh when it comes to tahoe there is plenty of that it's also kind of like there's these little communities of where people park their cars deep in the woods and sleep out them, and they're very guarded, close secrets. So it's something I wouldn't say out in the public because, you know, all of a sudden a Forest Service ranger finds out about them, they're probably going to go shut them down. So you kind of have to get in with some locals, whether that's parking to go ski for the day and seeing people that seem like they're living out of their van and asking them like, Hey, do you know any good places to sleep or crash? And then the word of mouth network will probably help you out along that way. Um, 
to the third point, um, I don't think you necessarily need to do anything to contribute to the local community. I think you're so devoted to the support and the place and where you're at in, in life that you're doing just just good enough. Like if you're living out of your car, like just make sure that you aren't being egregious by littering, shitting right off the side of the, the road near where you're at. Um, you kind of got to do it a little bit stealthy and whatnot, but just don't be a negative impact in that sort of way. And you'll be fine. Um, if you're in your 20s, you're trying to ski bum, like you'll eventually get to that place where you can be more of a uh, contributor to the local economy in whatever sort of way and or just volunteering and helping. But I'd say what you're doing right now, like you focus on not being a nuisance, finding a good place and just being a ski bum, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, this just simply has to continue to be a part of skiing and snowboarding and ski area culture, right? If we are going to start putting a foot down and eliminating people who are graduate students, in the case of Jakob, right? And we're saying this is not the sport for you. If you can't afford all the accompanying amenities and the rooms and the rest, we're doing like literal damage, I think, to the sports. And as you just said, well, I mean, God bless people who are making it work and are passionate enough about <laughs> skiing and riding to do this, you know, and to forgo some creature comforts to make this happen and get out there on the mountain. Those are the people we kind of, in a way, have to protect the most, right? And, and maybe 10 years later, 20 years later, they're the ones staying in those rooms. Maybe, maybe they're not. I just don't ever want to see that going away. And I, I understand the commercial pressures to distance folks like this. We have to work against that. That's just part of the culture. And it can never be sort of, you know, it can never be the written law. Just the folks in our communities that lose sight of that, when People like Jakob, assuming that they're doing it in a respectful manner, kind of a leave no trace practice, because we're going to insist on that or I'll start taking back what I'm saying here. But you do that, like these are the most core folks of the community and we're doing, we're killing the sport. We're finding new ways to kill the sport if we're forcing them away or making them feel like they don't, they don't belong. So yeah. my take on that. Oh, and I would, what I would love to see is there are ski areas, um, namely very small independent runs that foster this community. And I would love to see the bigger corporate companies foster this as well. And it wouldn't take much. You'd be like, all right, we got this kind of distant lot, this distant space. It's way out in there. We're going to have a corner. We're going to throw some porta potties up there and, you know, $5 a night and you can stay there and you can stay there for three days consecutively and then you got to leave and whatnot. Fostering this, I think, is really important. And that's the one downside of sometimes large corporate ownership of ski areas is forgetting about people like this, which are vastly important for the sport. Because someone like Jacob, I'll call him Jacob, you can call him Jakob. Um, we'll find out later um, what it actually, how he's pronouncing it. But um, people like, like Jacob, like if 
Jacob's this devoted to skiing, you know that eventually when he has a job that can't afford to have a house, rent a place, and or move to a mountain town, is going to have his family skiing, is going to be a vital part of this community, is going to be a lifelong customer of your business. So any basic business course would teach you like, hey, if you have someone so devoted to your business that they would sleep in your car for it, you should maybe help them along the way, not shun them. And like, I get it. Like, like he provided, like someone like Palisades having workers die from carbon monoxide poisoning while sleeping in your car would be pretty easy to be like outright ban. Like we're not letting people sleep in their car because if they don't have the, you know, the knowledge or set up enough, like we could have people just like going like to the ski area, looking in someone's window and there's a car full of dead people like that. That'd be awful. But I think there's a way of like, Hey, let's not forget about these people, their core communities of your business. And let's foster this a little bit, whether that's developing a corner, whether that's putting out porta potties, whether that's just like making it so that like, Hey, we can make these people well, feel welcomed here. Um, I don't see it necessarily happening anytime soon, but I, I would love to see it. And, uh, I think people like Jacob, should be celebrated. Yeah. Hey, let's say this too. If there are ski areas out there, I will assume smaller local ski areas where you have systems set up, like what we're kind of talking about, please write us. We will get in touch. We can talk about that on the next Reviewing the News and, and learn a bit about some of the things that work really well maybe learn about some of the things where there are challenges about this. But if there are examples or you know of a ski area where this is handled well, let us know. Uh, write us in. And, and I think this is worth uh, us talking about a bit more and, and seeing if we can inspire uh, some other areas to you know improve on this and, and take it more seriously uh, for all the reasons we've said. Totally. Yeah, you should have a list up on Blister. Like, hey, these ski areas. Like, I know, like, yeah. Mount Washington is one up in Vancouver Island. So, uh, it'd be That'd awesome be cool. to have out there. I know there's other resources, yeah. too. Like, freecamping.net is something that I used. Mm. But uh, quite often, like, when I'm, when I'm driving around in the winter working on a line and have a week to wait around, I would just pull out a map and start looking for BLM land and Forest Service land and go park out there. Which sucks because you spend more gas money and getting away from it you have to drive into town but ultimately like that's what you kind of got to do so so yeah all right next one i i really like this one uh this is from eliza god bless you eliza uh the title of the email was what to get someone who has everything gear edition uh okay so eliza writes hi my boyfriend ryan and i are both avid skiers and outdoor enthusiasts however we do differ in our levels of passion and interest for gear and reviewing gear. Ryan has been a Blister member for quite some time and loves to research gear, learn about different brands, down to knowing every detail about how a ski slash snowboard rides. He does both. Good to you. Good on you, Ryan. Uh, and based on the size, shape, rocker, brand materials, etc. The term "Don't tempt me with a good time" or "Kid in a candy shop." perfectly applies to Ryan when we see a demo tent, as I can guarantee he will light up, rush over, and giddily say something like, I hope they have the new blank ski with blank binding that I can try. 
I know he has already done hours of blister research and YouTube reviews on that brand and what they would be showcasing for demo options. Whenever Ryan's birthday is coming up, practical gift giving in the gear department becomes more difficult in a reasonable price range. Sorry, Ryan, but buying you those new $1,000 skis you want for pair number seven isn't quite in the budget. When it comes to gear, Ryan is the definition of the question, what do you get the person who has everything? Okay, all that said, Ryan did introduce me to the Blister podcast during some of our long car rides, and we quickly had to make the compromise that we listen to one episode per long ride and that it is one of the Reviewing the News with Cody Townsend episodes since we both are big Cody fans and enjoy watching the 50 episodes together. Aw, that's lovely. All this said, this is a lengthy way of asking if Cody and Jonathan would be able to wish Ryan a happy 28th birthday on Reviewing the News. His birthday is September 7th. I have some gear gift ideas up my sleeve for Ryan's birthday, but this would be the definition of a special gift to someone who seems to have everything. This would mean a lot, and thank you for what you all do. Well, Eliza, let me be the first to say here, Ryan, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Ryan. I will say... I've already actually wished him a happy birthday because Eliza seems like a hell of a girlfriend. She wrote to me as well. And I told her and Ryan, which I can tell for the first time, that I will be at the Blister Summit this year. Like, I'm actually committing to it. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds like Ryan is coming as well, so that's awesome. Um, and the my only hesitancy in wishing a uh, happy birthday is, like, all of a sudden, are we going to get just, like, happy birthday wishes and be, like, the back end of the Politico thing and the, for our mountain, you know, mountain town advice column from here on out? So we'll, I'd say we let's stick to this one, Ryan. Happy birthday. <laughs> fucking birthday but like we could get we could get deeper all of a sudden we're just wishing everyone happy birthday and everyone turns the, true. the podcast off here here's here's a thought though i had in answer to eliza's question what do you get the person that has everything you get them blister plus oh yeah. you get them blister plus right as we've discussed ryan's out there he's doing stuff accidents happen He's got six pairs of skis already. He doesn't need the seventh. Eliza, get him and yourself, Eliza, blister plus coverage. So when something goes down, you're good. Um, that's what I think. And, I, and we're, we're going to have to workshop this a little bit and figure this out. But maybe that's going to be part of the we will wish happy birthdays to people if the, two, <laughs> the pair has blister plus we, this is like, I'm, t I'm not joking about like losing sleep over this. I just want everybody to be covered. And if you're in a situation where you're like, I get 100% of my medical stuff happen, I don't have to pay stupid deductibles, great. Okay, that's great. And you are living an amazing life. But there's many millions of us not in that situation. So I'm talking to the many millions of us here. So I don't know, maybe that works. We can, we can figure this out. But uh yeah, I can see how reviewing the news would just become an hour of wishing people happy birthday and maybe maybe we'll just I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out, Cody. But yeah, I think Blister Plus just upgrade. He's already a Blister member. 
Blister members can upgrade to, to Blister Plus and uh, save some money that way. And then, Cody, I guess you got this news before I did, but Ryan is coming to the summit. Yeah, it's coming to the okay. summit. So, yeah. It's great. So, um, it's like all your dreams are coming true, Ryan. He's got a great girlfriend. <laughs> he has the best girlfriend, Eliza. Yeah, Shout nice out job. to you. Shout out to Eliza. Shout out to Ryan. Shout out to Eliza. Shout out to both of them, you lovely couple. All right. Let's do a quick edition of what we're reading and watching. And then I know uh, you've got films to work on and I've got a buyer's guide to finish up. So what's on your radar? Um, so a lot of things. I, I guess I could go into a bunch of books I've read recently, but I actually wanted to go into... So the the recent trend of the behind the scenes of an event documentary series, so Drive to Survive for Formula One, Full Swing for Golf, there's the Unchained for the Tour de France, um, and then there was... God, I forget what the one is called for tennis. But let's say there's four major ones on TV, um, all kind of on Netflix. How how many of those four have you watched? None. None. I, okay. I tried to do Drive to Survive. I know it's like your favorite thing in the world. Oh, and I, we're going to get into that. Oh, okay. I, so I watched a couple of those and it didn't quite catch for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I've seen it. I get I think it's remarkably well done. But... um. Does it count too to talk about like Hard Knocks? Did those count, or is I that mean, a different? Hard Knocks is the original, um, for yeah, sure. Hard Knocks is OG. But um, and maybe I... we can throw this in here. I can throw it into my. I wanted to do a quick updated rankings of these four. Okay. Let's throw it in five, top five. Okay. Because I've watched okay. all. I've watched all of them. Because I'm a <laughs> sucker for sports documentaries and especially these kind of TV shows. So originally, uh, Drive to Survive was. You know, it's kind of been reigniting formula one obviously this kind of uh this genre of tv as well um but for me my i'm gonna go work backwards unfortunately hard knocks is number five right now because it used to have something special but i think it's become such a thing that everyone knows about that the characters are playing to it now like they are self-aware enough they are intelligent enough to know that there's cameras on them and they're mic'd up decade ago i wouldn't have said that i would have said like hard knocks is one of the best shows on tv but now you can kind of tell like you've got aaron Rodgers on the new york jets talking to the camera left and right uh hamming it up for the camera other people hamming it up saying what they know is going to be put on there and that's like a that's honestly a trapping of this genre in general it becomes so big that it becomes self-aware and then it becomes guarded and you don't get the true essence of what they're doing. So Hard Knocks is five. Uh, full Swing, the golf is four. Golfers are boring. Um, that's what I'm taking away, and I'm sorry. It was just like they're... There was one character that was really fun and funny, and his, him and his caddy were great. But ultimately, like, Justin Thomas and, like, the the the, the crew that they kind of profile, Brooks Kepka. They, I don't know, it's just not that interesting. There's not that much drama within that sport. So for TV, didn't make that great of TV. I'll just put it that way. Like, it was interesting a little bit to just see how fabulously wealthy all these golfers are. But otherwise, like, 
not super interesting. Uh, number three, I would put it on as the tennis show. Um, same sort of thing. There's some people that are like not that interesting, but the, some of the stories are also pretty fascinating. My wife is obsessed with tennis. She's got the U.S. Open on right now. So I know a lot of these characters, but it was really good to get some insight into some of the kind of the tennis life, how solitary it is, how hard it is to win a tournament and um, just in general kind of behind the scenes sport. I put two as Drive to Survive. Um, Drive to Survive, I think, is starting to become a little too self-aware as well. I still think race car drivers are egomaniacs, nutsos, so you're profiling crazy people who drive around cars at 225 miles an hour, you're going to get for good TV. Um, and ultimately, the characters, mainly the team principals, are just absolutely spot on. I, they, it's so good in that sort of way. But the Tour de France documentary I recently just watched and top notch. It's so good. And because it combines like these people are crazy. The what they're doing to see how often they crash, how nuts it is to go as fast as they do in these full sprints for the finish line. How insanely physically challenging this is. Um and then just like yeah, they're they're crazy people. Like in order to go through this level of suffering for that long of period of time, you have to be nuts. And the the cinematography on it is amazing. One of the final shots of the entire series, I thought I had to rewind it a th like two or three times to watch it because it was just so beautiful and so amazing. Uh, really, really well done. Um, so Tour de France, Drive to Survive. Um, the tennis one, sorry, I keep forgetting the name. Uh, and then golfers and hard knocks so that's my list of this genre so if anyone wants to take wow. that compare notes but that's all i was going to do for this podcast wow i i want to give proper credit here and i think it may have been matt manzer on a blister happy hour live stream who mentioned like if one of these whatever we're calling this genre, we'll call it the drive to survive genre. If there was an incredibly well done version of these for Alpine ski racing. It could be pretty good. Or pick, it could be pretty good. Or what would you say, would you, would you, if you could pick or which do you think would be the more compelling thing? Alpine ski racing i guess downhill ski racing most likely though maybe we have wiggle room to do different disciplines through it i don't know how that would work or yeah if that's too broad well the key to making good tv is having drama and so whether you have the drama in the in either the characters or the competition that's what is necessary so Obviously, when it comes to characters, you would think downhillers, but my instance with most of the downhillers I know, everyone's really friendly and supportive of each other, which doesn't make for good TV, And to be honest. Um, maybe there's still something there. I do know plenty of inside stories of some of the like behind-the-scenes backstabbing and kind of competitive nature of the World Cup. Um, if they could get that on TV, that'd be great. I would say it'd be pretty hard to get that on TV. You would need to be with the right characters. So it could be it could be done, and it could be interesting. Right now, I would put it like in the middle of the pack. Um, high because it's skiing, and I love skiing, but I could see the characters maybe not necessarily have as much like... Just like when you have in Drive to Survive them like nearly getting into a fist fight because of something that happened on the racetrack, that's the drama that makes for good TV. Um, 
And I don't want to like say like you need to have a fist fight in order to like make in why order to why do you condone violence on like, <laughs> I know podcast, I'm just saying that's in. what makes entertainment and I don't want people to fight just for my entertainment but maybe a little bit <laughs> <laughs> you don't have All to right. punch each other just you know call each other names and fake that you're gonna fight each other so it, it could be done though maybe I need to spice up reviewing the news a little bit like upcoming episode I just start chewing you out and don't you already make fun of me enough i hear you on other podcasts being like oh you have to take you know i have to listen to cody's idiotic takes all the time so well yeah we want to make sure you're listening i'm going to call you out in a 50 episode (laughs) (laughs) okay i'll be like oh that was the dumbest thing i've ever done except for that podcast with jonathan ellsworth on the blister that was that was the dumbest thing ever Uh, fair enough well, I think it's intriguing to think about the like high level, super well done, whether like I'm thinking a bit about the, you know, uh, World Cup downhill mountain biking, you know, something like that or and and could something like this be done with, say, the free ride world tour? There, it's been proposed and they've thought about doing it. But again, you kind of run into this like everyone like is generally supportive of each other. Everyone helps each other. Like you, when you're scouting lines, you generally help each other. There's maybe a couple people that are a little underhanded and weird, but like when it comes to a TV show, you know, that doesn't necessarily capture a wide audience. Um, you know, I still think if you were to dive in deep enough into the nuances, the intrigue of it, how they're picking these lines, maybe that could be more interesting. Just like when Drive to Survive kind of profiles how important getting fourth place is, it all of a sudden makes you watch with a different lens. Like if you could understand that and you could show some of that, then that'd be good. I mean, obviously I'm focusing on drama between characters as being kind of a key ingredient. Um, But if you don't have that, there are ways to do it. You just have to be better at showing that aspects, those that level of nuance and, and understanding, like getting people to understand what makes this sport interesting is, would be the goal. Okay. I liked your rankings. Um, And maybe I'll, I don't know, maybe I'll check out the Tour de France and we'll see. I want to talk about one thing. Cool. Because it's blown my freaking mind. Ooh. Blown it. Have you read James Nestor's book called Breath? No, I haven't. Putting it on my list. I'm going to say this, and now I really hope it happens. I have written James Nestor because I want him to come on the Blister podcast. This book is probably a top 10 most important book I've ever read in my life. Oh, wow. And might be top five. And probably you could make a case that it's top three. Wow. I'm not joking. It basically lays out that 90% of us, probably at least, don't know how to breathe and breathe incorrectly. Like literally the thing we do more than any other thing in our lives. And I I knew when this book came out and like I have I confess I've always been the guy like if there's some advertised like come to this breathwork class. Okay, that's the last thing on planet Earth I will ever be going to. This just sounded like some woo-woo whatever kind of thing which is not how I tend to roll. 
the claims of the book, just the introduction, just read the introduction and you will be like, wait, what is happening just by virtue of breathing correctly? And he lays out this list of scientifically proven things that, including, I'll just name one, life extension. Like, we are shortening our lives because we breathe incorrectly. So if that doesn't get your attention and you sort of like, you know, living, it has been wild. And I ha- I'm, listening, I'm, I'm listening to it currently. And I just am like walking around and thinking like, how did I make it this far on this planet, this many days on this planet, and not know some incredibly fundamental things. And by the way, this isn't stuff where you have to like go to a breathing retreat, you know, for six weeks to get a handle on this. These are things that you can start implementing the minute you have read a certain chapter. And I'm like, I don't, when you go and think about like, what are the most impactful or profound significant books you've ever read in your life? Like, how does anything actually rank higher than learning how to breathe well, which affects health, will make you less likely and less susceptible to things like asthma, among many other conditions, and literally can be the difference between shortening your life by about a decade. So, like I said, if I sound like a crazy person, it's because this has been so significant. And I think everybody, you will find out, maybe you'll find out like, oh, I got lucky and I happened to be doing some of these things the right way. Or you will be like, I need to make some easy things that are easy to change right away, but do this right away. So anyway, James Nestor, the book is called Breath. I'm buying it for my whole staff at Blister. And then it's up to them. They can incorporate as much or as little of this as they want. But I it's pretty wild. So I got to ask, are you breathing differently? Yeah, 100%. Ah, cool. Yeah, and some of it's really simple to integrate. And then when I'm mountain biking here in Crested Butte on a tough climb, it is much harder for me to integrate. But you will find yourself making progress very quickly. This isn't one of those things where you make certain changes and you're like, well, maybe in a year I'll notice a difference. You'll notice a difference on some of these things right away. And again, I think, you know, maybe the biggest thing is one, I've I've talked about why it is so significant, like palpable, tangible. We're talking about our health and our mental health, by the way, as well. And these are things that we can all just be doing better. So um, I've reached out to, to, to James, and I very much hope he will come on this. Um, he's remarkably good at talking about this, but I'm just going to say, if anybody trusts me about anything, buy this book or buy the audio book and, and just take the introduction seriously. Go carefully through that, then make your own decision if you want to keep reading. But um, I think it's profound. Awesome. 
like I said, I already put it in my my Goodreads want to read list. So okay, I mean, I, I trust right. you that much, even though as much as I like to make fun of you, I do trust you <laughs> enough on that. And I've been tearing through books lately, so cool. Okay, um, and also I, I won't get into it now, but I'm also kind of already do a lot of that stuff. Um, actually, do I do a, I do a guided meditation breathing thing every night? Huh. And uh, there's some things that it's already solved in my own life. I don't like to talk about that kind of stuff too often publicly just because, I don't know, people tend to uh, almost not weaponize it, but I think a lot of people use and talk about their own health in many different aspects to gain sympathy. And I think we all do have our own things. Um, I um, have my stuff just like everyone else, so I just don't talk about it publicly. But I've been doing uh, these guided meditation things, and I would say I'm like six weeks in on this one particular one, and it's helped a lot, and it's all with breath work. So I'm yeah. already leaning that way with it, but I want to read okay. the book now to understand it more. Yeah. Interesting, man. All right. Well, I don't know. Maybe we should talk about this at some point. Cool. We'll do a we'll Twist do a arm. book book club review or something on another podcast. Okay, cool. Hey, man. Yeah. Thank you, as always. Yeah, good chat. Good chatting up. It was good. Go edit some movies. Make them great. Doing my best. It's hard to you know sometimes you watch yourself on camera enough and you're like, man, I gotta polish <laughs> this turd. <laughs> I got a turd on my hands and maybe I could throw some glitter on this turd. And I just said the wrong stupid ass thing right there. I wouldn't know about that because I feel like I've never misspoken publicly at any point <laughs> no. that I can think of. Yeah, but when you're editing a movie and you all of a sudden get to see what you say for like hours on end, you like become <laughs> when more... you're exhausted. Yeah, totally. You're like Jesus, you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, here's to a here's to a forgiving audience, and uh, yeah, we're all you know we're all out here doing our best, making plenty of mistakes along the way, and. Uh, so we, as always, appreciate your compassion and understanding. And uh, But I will say, I, I always enjoy these conversations and learn a lot along the way. So thanks to you for another good one. And uh, I'll let you get back to your thing. And we have some other things to be catching up on soon that I will bug you about. Say hi to Elise for me. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. And thank you, audience. If you made it this far by now, yeah. good on you. Round of applause. <laughs> yeah. So, You are almost as great as Eliza and Ryan. If you've made it this far, um, you're, in, you're, you're approaching Eliza and Ryan level of coolness. So thanks to all of you. All right, sir. Till the next one. All right. See you, dude. And that brings us to the end of this edition of Reviewing the News. As always, I want to say thanks to Cody for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you, as we already said, for listening and putting up with us. But one last thing, if you are enjoying these conversations, please take 30 seconds and leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or in Spotify. And I'm just going to say it, especially if you like these conversations. We had a comment recently in Apple Podcasts where somebody wrote in, I think gave the show three stars because they said they didn't like that the host, which, you know, that would be me, tries to sound like a news anchor in my intros or something. And so we got three stars. I was like, man, okay. I don't know, dude. So I could use some cheering up. So if you haven't left a review, and let's say you've listened to, you know, five 
different Blister Podcast episodes. If you've listened to five or more and you're still listening, well, I feel like that means we've earned a five-star review. So cheer me up. I'll try to sound less like an anchor news person or something. And you then all have a very good week. All right, everybody. Talk to you soon.